just reminding you. We have t-shirts in the shop. Just go to pgttcm.com. Check out all of our cool t-shirts and stickers. Heck, we even got some shelf curtains in there. Keep clean. Look cool. Have cool stickers to put on stuff. Join us on Patreon and get a free sticker. Or don't. It's up to you. spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Here your host, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classics and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher, or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival. Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the head of Rondo Hatton, only on Monster Kid Radio. This episode is brought to you by California Tea House. California Tea House is a family-owned tea store where you can find some of the world's best loose-leaf tea and organic herbal tea blends. Like a fine wine, there is no comparison between fine loose-leaf and common broken-leaf tea bags. So, yeah, no, check them out. Check them out. They have quite a bit of pretty awesome tea collections. I'm a huge fan of their white teas. Uh, They have a tea club that you can join, but, you know, they've got green tea, black tea, white tea, oolong, that uh, robios and herbal tea. They've also got teaware. So check out California Tea House in the show notes. Hey everyone, it's me, DB. New sponsor on the show, Clary. Clary offers a great price and better quality goods and services for music lovers. Are you looking for good prices, free shipping, 100% quality guarantee? Clary's got you covered. Guitars, bass guitars, mandolins, they've got saxophones, trumpets, drums, they've got guitar cases, amplifiers, all the stuff that you need without having to break the bank. Inexpensive doesn't have to mean cheap. Check out the show notes to find more about Glary. 20 watt amplifiers for under $50. Hard cases for your electric guitar for under 80. Guitars themselves for under $90. Come on folks, check out the show notes. Get a Glary. You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. Once again, we walk down the lightless stone staircase in the middle of nowhere. You're listening to KZOM. Hey everyone, welcome back to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. It's one of our reading episodes. 
and we have a variety of people reading various ghost stories from various writers, such as H.P. Lovecraft, Edgar Allan Poe, Algernon Blackwood, and Charlotte Gilman, to name a few. So most of these episodes are roughly about half an hour or more, and there's going to be two episodes per story, and... Yeah, that's what we've got going on. Some spooky stories for you to listen to with some cool, snary drums going on in the background. And, yeah, not a whole bunch of noise to interrupt what's going on. So I hope you enjoy it. Some spooky stories. And if you are lucky enough, at the very beginning of October, H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival, and there is also going to be a second H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival that's going to be less in person and more of a streaming thing. Check us out on there. Dave's got some stuff going on on that. I'm going to have some stuff going on on that. And also, I'd like to welcome our newest sponsor, Taza Chocolate, Stone Ground Chocolate. And you know what? This is super minimally processed. If you're like me and you have a bunch of food allergies, you can't do dairy, they have dairy-free chocolates. They, they, they use dairy alternatives, uh, minimally processed, of course, organic. I love them. You love them. Toss of chocolates. They, they come in those discs that you can break up and put into hot beverages and stir up. Ooh, I love it so much. Anyway, Oz. So why not? I don't know, sit down with a nice warm beverage. We've got the tea that you can get. We've got the coffee you can get. I don't know, maybe microwave some psychedelic water, baby. Ghostly horror stories. By Alan Lord. The Ghost in the Captain Brown House by Harriet Beecher Stowe. Now, Sam, tell us certain truth. Is there any such things as ghosts? Be there ghosts, said Sam, immediately translating into his vernacular grammar. Well, now, that is just a question, you see. Well, Grandma thinks there are, and Aunt Lois thinks it's all nonsense. Why, Aunt Lois? Don't even believe the stories in Cotton Mather's Magnalia. Wanna know? said Sam, with a tone of slow, languid meditation. We were sitting on a bank of the Charles River, fishing. The soft, melancholy red of evening was fading off in streaks on the glassy water, and the houses of Old Town were beginning to loom through the gloom solemn and ghostly. There are times and tones and moods of nature that make all the vulgar daily wheels seem shadowy, vague and supernatural, as if the outlines of this hard material present were fading into the invisible and unknown. So Old Town with its elm trees, its great square white houses, its beaten house and tavern, and blacksmith's shop and billy, which at high noon seem as real and as commonplace as possible, at this hour of the evening were dreamy and solemn. They rose up blurred, indistinct, dark. Here and there, winking candles sent long lines alight through the shadows, and little drops of unforeseen rain rippled the sheeny darkness of the water. 
Well, you see, boys, in them things, it's just as well to mind your old granny. There's a considerable side of gumption in grandmas. You look at the folks that's earlier telling you what they don't believe. They don't believe this and they don't believe that. And what sort of folks is they? Why, like your Aunt Lois. Sort of stringy and dry. There ain't no suction got out of not believing nothing. Lord of mercy, we don't know nothing about them things. We hadn't been there and can't say that they ain't no ghost and sitch, can we now? We agreed to that fact and sat a little closer to Sam in the gathering gloom. Tell us about the Captain Brown house, Sam. He didn't never go over the Captain Brown house? No, we had not that advantage. Well, you see, Captain Brown, he made all his money to sea in furrin' pods and then come here to Old Town to settle down. Now, there ain't no knowing about these here old shipmasters, where they's been or what they's been a-doing or how they got their money. Ask me no questions and I'll tell you no lies is about the best philosophy for them. Well, it didn't do no good to ask Captain Brown questions too close, cause you didn't get no satisfaction. Nobody rightly knew about who his folks was or where they come from, and if a body asked him, he used to say that the very first he knowed about himself he was a young man walking the streets in London. But you see, boys, he had money, and that is about all folks want to know when a man comes to settle down. And he bought that our place, and he built that our house. He built it all in sea captain fashion, so as to feel as much at home as he could. The parlor? was like a ship's cabin. The table and chairs was fastened down to the floor, and the closets was made with holes to set the casters and the decanters and bottles in, just as they'd be at sea. And there was stanchions to hold on by, and they say that blowy nights, the captain used to fire up pretty well with his grog, till he'd had about all he could carry. And then he'd sit and hold on and hear the wind blow and kind of feel out to sea right there to him. The one known Miss Captain Brown, and it didn't seem likely to be known. And whether there ever had been one, nobody knowed. He had an old black guinea nigger woman named Cassia that did his work. She was shaped pretty much like one of these here great crook-neck squashes. She wasn't no great beauty, I can tell you. And she used to wear a great red turban and a yellow short gown and red petticoat and a great string of gold beads round her neck 
and great big gold hoops in her ears, made right in the middle of Africa among the heathen there. For all she was black, she thought a heap of herself and was considerable sort of predominative over the captain. Now the massy boys, it's alias so. Get a man and a woman together. Any sort of woman you're a mind to, don't care who tis. And one way or another, she gets to rule over him. And he just has to train to her fife. Some does it one way, and some does it another. Some does it by jawing, and some does it by kissing. And some does it by faculty and contrivance. But one way or another, the Alice does it. Old Captain Brown was a good, stout, stocky kind of John Bull sort of fella. And a good judge of spirits, and Alice kept the best in them our cupboards or his'n. But first and last, things in his house went pretty much as old Cassius said. Folks got to kind of respectin' Cassia. She come to meetin' Sunday regular and sought all fixed up in red and yellow and green with glass beads and whatnot, looking for all the world like one of them ugly Indian idols. But she was well-behaved as any Christian. She was a master hand at cooking. Her bread and biscuits couldn't be beat, and nor couldn't her pies, and there weren't no such pound cake as she made nowhere. Well, this is a story I'm gonna tell you was told me by Cynthia Pendleton. There ain't a more respectable gal, old or young, than Cynthia nowheres. She lives over to Sherburne now, and I hear tell she's set up a manty-making business. But then, she used to do tailoring in Old Town. She was a member of the church, and a good Christian as ever was. Well, you see, Cassia, she got Cynthia to come up and spend a week to the Captain Brown house, a doing tailoring and a fixing over his clothes. Twas along toward the first of March. Cynthia, she sat by the fire in the front parlor with her goose and her press board and her work, for there weren't no company calling, and the snow was drifted four feet deep right across the front door. So there wasn't much danger of anybody coming in. And the captain, he was a polite man to women, and Cynthia, she liked it just as well not to have company. Cause the captain, he'd make himself entertaining, telling on her sea stories and all about his adventures among the Ammonites and the Parasites and Jebusites and all sorts of heathen people he'd been among. Well, that a week, they come on the massive snowstorm. Of all the snowstorms that had been, that uh, was the beater. And I tell you, the wind blew as if twas the last chance it was ever gonna have. Well, 
It's kind of scary, like, to be shut up in a lone house with all nature kind of breaking out and going on so, and the snow are coming down so thick you can't see across the street, and the wind a-piping and a-squealing and a-rumbling and a-tumbling first down this chimney and then down that. I tell you, it sort of sets a fella thinking of the three great things. Death, judgment, and eternity. And I don't care who the folks is, nor how good they be, there's times when they must be feeling pretty considerable solemn. Wow, Cynthia, she said she kind of felt so long, and she had a sort of queer feeling come over her, as if there was somebody or something round the house, more than appeared. She said she sort of felt it in the air, but it seemed to her silly, and she tried to get over it. But two or three times, she said when it got to be dusk, she felt somebody go by her up the stairs. The front entry wasn't very light in the daytime, and in the storm, come five o'clock, it was so dark that all you could see was just a gleam or something. And two or three times when she started to go upstairs, she see a soft white something that seemed going up before her. And she stopped with her heart a beating like a trip hammer. And she sort of saw it go up and along the entry to the captain's door. And then it seemed to go right through, cause the door didn't open. Well, Cynthia, say she to old Cassia, say she, is there anybody lives in this house but us? Anybody live here? Says Cassia. What you mean, says she? Says Cynthia, I thought somebody went past me on the stairs last night and tonight. Lordy massy, how old Cassia did screech and laugh. Good Lord, says she, how foolish white folks is. Somebody went past you? Was it the captain? No, it wasn't the captain, says she. It was something soft and wide. I moved very still. It was like something in the air, says she. Then Cassia, she haw-hawed louder. Say she, it's hysterics, Miss Cynthia. That's all it is. Well, Cynthia, she was kind of shamed. But for all that, she couldn't help herself. Sometimes, evenings, she'd be a-settin' with the captain, and she'd think she'd hear somebody a-movin' in his room overhead. And she knowed it wasn't Cassia, cause Cassia was ironing in the kitchen. She took pains once or twice to find out that I... Well, you see, the captain's room was the great front upper chamber over the parlor. And then right opposite to it was the great spare chamber where Cynthia slept. It was just as grand as could be with a grand four-post mahogany bedstead and damn-ass curtains bought over from England, but it was cold enough 
to freeze a white bear solid, the way spare chambers Alice is. Then there was the entry between, run straight through the house. One side was old Cassia's room, and the other was a sort of storeroom where the old captain kept all sorts of traps. Well, Cynthia, she kept a having things happen and a seeing things till she didn't really know what was in it. Once, when she come into the parlor just at sundown, she was sure she see a white figure a vanishing out of the door that went towards the side entry. She said it was so dusk that all she could see was just this white figure and it just went out still as a cat as she come in. Well, Cynthia didn't like to speak to the captain about it. She was a close woman. Pretty prudent, Cynthia was. But one night, about the middle of the week, this here thing kind of come to a crisis. Cynthia said she'd been up pretty late a sewing and a finishing off down in the parlor. And the captain he sat up with her and was considerable cheerful and entertaining, telling her all about things over in the Bermudas and off to China and Japan and round the world generally. The storm that had been a-blowing all the week was about as furious as ever, and the captain, he stirred up a mess of flint and headed for her heart to go to bed on. He was a good-natured critter, and Alice had feelings for lone women. And I suppose he knew twas sort of desolate for Cynthia. Well, taking the flip so right the last thing afore going to bed, she went right off to sleep as sound as a nut and slept on till somewhere about morning, when she said something waiter brought awake in a minute. Her eyes flew wide open like a spring, and the storm had gone down, and the moon come out. And there, standing right in the moonlight by her bed, was a woman, just as white as a sheet, with black hair hanging down to her waist, and the brightest, mournfullest black eyes you ever see. She stood there looking right at Cynthia, and Cynthia thinks that was what waked her up. Cause, you know, if anybody stands and looks steady and folks asleep, it's apt to wake them. Anyway, Cynthia said she felt just as if she was turning to stone. She couldn't move nor speak. She lay a minute and then she shut her eyes and began to say her prayers. And a minute after, she opened them, and it was gone. Cynthia was a sensible gal, and one that Alice had her thoughts about her, and she just got up and put a shawl round her shoulders, and went first and looked at the doors, and they was both on them locked, just as she left them when she went to bed. Then she looked under the bed and in the closet and felt all round the room, where she couldn't see, she felt her way, and there was nothing there. Well, next morning, Cynthia got up and went home, 
and she kept it to herself a good while. But finally, one day, when she was working to our house, she told Hepsy about it, and Hepsy, she told me. Well, Sam, we said after a pause, in which we heard only the rustle of leaves and the ticking of branches against each other. What you suppose it was? Well, that is. You know just as much about it as I do. Hepsy told Cynthia it might have been a dream, and so it might. But Cynthia, she was sure it wasn't a dream. Cause she remembers playing hearing the old clock on the stairs strike four while she had her eyes open looking at the woman. And then she only shed him a minute just to say, now I lay me, and opened them, and she was gone. Well, Cynthia told Hepsy, and Hepsy, she kept it pretty close. She didn't tell it to nobody, except Aunt Sally Dickerson and the widow B.G. Smith, and your grandma Badger, and the minister's wife. And they, every one of them, agreed it ought to be kept close, cause it would make talk. Well, come spring, somehow or other, it seemed to have got all over Old Town. I heard on it to the star and up to the tavern, and Jake Marshall, he says to me one day, What's this e about the cabin's house? And the widow Loka, she says to me, There's been a ghost seen in the cabin's house, and I heard on it clear over to Needham and Sherborne. Some of the women, they drew themselves up pretty stiff and proper. Your Aunt Lois was one on them. Ghost, says she, don't tell me. Perhaps it would be best if twas a ghost, says she. She didn't think I ought to be no such doings in nobody's house. And your grandma, she shut her up and told her she didn't ought to talk so. Talk how, said I, interrupting Sam with wonder. What did Aunt Lois mean? Why, you see, said Sam mysteriously, there allers is folks in every town that's just like the Sadducees in old times. They won't believe in angel, no spirit, no way you can fix it. And if things is seen and done in a house, why, they say it's cause there's somebody there. There's some sort of deviltry or trick about it. So, the story got round that there was a woman kept private in Captain Brown's house and that he bought her from foreign parts. And it growed and growed till there was all sorts of ways of telling on it. Some said they'd seen her setting at an open window. Some said that moonlight nights, they'd seen her walking out in the back garden, kinda in and out, among the bean poles and squash vines. You see, it come on spring and summer, and the windows of the Cap'n Brown house stood open, and folks was all a-watching on them day and night. Aunt Sally Dickerson told the minister's wife that she'd seen in plain daylight a woman a-setting at the chamber window 
between four and five o'clock in the morning. Just a sitting, a looking out and a doing nothing like anybody else. She was very white and pale and had black eyes. Some said that it was a nun the captain had brought away from a Roman Catholic convent in Spain. And some said he'd got her out of the Inquisition. Aunt Sally said she thought the minister ought to call and inquire why she didn't come to meet him and who she was and all about her. Cause you see, she said, it might be all right enough if folks only know just how things was. But if they didn't, why folks will talk. Well, did the minister do it? Why, Parson Lothrop? Well, no, he didn't. He made a call on the captain in a regular way and asked out of his health and all his family. But the captain, he seemed just as jolly and chipper as a spring robin. And he gave the minister some of his old Jamaican. And the minister, he come away and said, he didn't see nothing. And no, he didn't. Folks never does see nothing when they ain't looking where it is. Fact is, Parson Lothrop wasn't fond of interfering. He was a master hand to slick things over. Your grandma, she used to moan about it, cause she said he never gave no pen to the doctrines, but was all of a piece. He kinda took everything the smooth way. But your grandma, she believed in the ghost, and so did Lady Lothrop. I was up to her house the other day, fixing a doorknob, and says she, Sam, your wife told me a strange story about the Captain Brown house. Yes, ma'am, she did, says I. Well, what do you think of it, says she. Well, sometimes I think, and then again, I don't know, says I. There's Cynthia, and she's a member of the church and a good, pious gal, says I. Yes, Sam, says Lady Lothrop says she. And Sam, says she, it is just like something that happened once to my grandmother when she was living in the old province house in Boston, says she. These here things is the mysteries of Providence, and it's just as well not to have them too much talked about. Just so, says I, just so. That is what every woman I've talked with says. And I guess, first and last, I've talked with 20 good, safe church members. And there's every one opinion that this year oughtn't to be talked about. Why, over to the deacons, to the night, we went all over as much as two or three hours, and we concluded that the best way was to keep quite still about it. And that's just what they say over to Needham and Sherburn. I've been all round a hushing this year up, and I ain't found but a few people that hadn't the particulars one way or another. This year was what I says to Lady Lothrop. The fact was, 
I never did see no report spread so. Nor make such sort of sarchings a heart as this here. It really did beat all. Cause if twas a ghost, why there was the pen proved, you see. Synth is a church member, and she see it, and got right up and sarched the room. But then again, if twas a woman, why, that air was kind of awful. It give cause, you see, for thinking all sorts of things. There was Captain Brown, to be sure. He won a church member, but yet he was as honest and regular a man as any going, as far as any on us could see. To be sure, nobody knowed where he come from, but that why no reason again him. This year might have been a crazy sister or some poor critter that he took out of the best of motives. And the scripture says, charity hopeth all things. But then, see, the folks will talk. That as the pest are all these things. And they did son on him talk considerable strong about the captain. But somehow or other, there didn't nobody come to the pin a-facing on him down and saying square out, Captain Brown, have you got a woman in your house or ain't you? What is the ghost or what is it? Folks somehow never does come to that. You see, there was the captain, so respectable, setting up every Sunday there in his pew with his ruffles round his hands and his red broadcloth cloak and his cocked hat. Why, folks' hearts sort of failed him when it come to saying anything right to him. They thought and kind of whispered round that the minister or the deacons ought to do it. But, lordy massy, ministers, I suppose, has feelings like the rest on us. They don't want to eat all the hard cheeses that nobody else won't eat. Anyhow, there wasn't nothing said direct to the cabin, and just for one of that, all the folks in Old Town kept a bailing and a bailing like a kettle of soap, till it seemed all the time as if they'd bail over. Some of the women tried to get something out of Cassie. Lordy massy, you might as well have tried to get it out an old tom turkey. They'll strut and gobble and quitter and drag his wings on the ground and fly at you, but won't say nothing. Cassie, she screeched her queer sort of laugh, and she told him that they was a making fools of themselves and that the captain's matters were none of their business. And that was true enough. As to going into Cassia's room, or into any of the storerooms or closets she kept the keys of, you might as well have gone into a lion's den. She kept all her places locked up tight, and there was no getting at nothing in the Captain Brown house. Else I believe some of the women would have sent a such one. Well, said I, what came of it? Didn't anybody ever find out? Well, said Sam, it come to an end, sorta, and it didn't come to an end. It was just this here way. You see, 
along in October, just in the Sodom-making time, Abel Flint. He was took down with dysentery and died. You remember the Flint house? It stood on a little rise of ground, just looking over towards the brown house. Well, there was Aunt Sally Dickerson and the widow B.G. Smith. They sat up with the cops. He was laid out in the back chamber, you see, over the milk room and kitchen. But there was cold victuals and such in the front chamber, where the watchers sat. Well, now, Aunt Sally, she told me that between three and four o'clock, she heard wheels of rumbling, and she went to the window, and it was clear starlight, and she see a coach come up to the Captain Brown house, and she see the Captain come out, bringing a woman all wrapped in a cloak. And old Cassie came out of with her arms full of bundles, and he put her into the carriage, and shed her in, and it drove off. And she see old Cassie stand looking over the fence, utter it. She tried to wake up the widow, but it was towards morning, and the widow Alice was a hard sleeper, so there was no witness but her. Well, then it wasn't a ghost, said I. After all, and it was a woman. Well, that is, you see, folks don't know that I yet. Cause there it's just as broad as tis long. Now look at it. There's Cynthia. She's a good pious gal. She locks her chamber doors, both on them, and goes to bed. And wakes up in the night, and there's a woman there. She just shuts her eyes, and the woman's gone. She gets up and looks, and both doors is locked, just as she left them. That air woman wine flesh and blood now, no way. Not such flesh and blood as we knows on. But then they say Cynthia might have dreamed it. Well now, look at it t'other way. There's Aunt Sally Dickerson. She's a good woman and a church member. Well, she sees a woman in a cloak with all her bundles brought out of Captain Brown's house and put into a carriage and drive off between three and four o'clock in the morning. Well, that ass shows there must have been a real live woman kept there privately. And so what Cynthia saw wasn't a ghost. Well, now... Cynthia says Aunt Sally might have dreamed it. That she got her head so full of stories about the Captain Brown house and watched it till she got asleep and had this ear dream. And as there didn't nobody else see it, it might have been, you know. Aunt Sally's clear she didn't dream. And then again, Cynthia's clear she didn't dream. But which on them was awake? which on him was asleep is what ain't settled in old town yet. End of The Ghost in the Captain Brown House by Harriet Beecher Stowe Recording by Alan Lord Welcome to Innsmouth. Stranger.
I'm Rob Whiten from the Innsmouth Book Club. Join me and my fellow guide, John Chadwick, as we take you on a fortnightly tour of Innsmouth. We visit places such as the Picture House, the Library and Innsmouth Museum to discuss all aspects of weird fiction, whether it be book, film, music, TV or art. As well as that, we stop over at the Gilman House to have a chat with a resident guest. That includes authors, artists, musicians, in fact, Lovecraftian creatives of all types. You can find our free shows on Patreon, and there you can also sign up as a patron, which brings you bonus content, plus a monthly PDF copy of Innsmouth News, which features articles, author spotlights, all the latest news and reviews, and more. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash InnsmouthBC. We hope to see you soon, because remember, Innsmouth isn't just a place, it's a state of mind. This month's bandwidth is brought to you by Psychedelic Water. Legal psychedelics suspended in green tea and then put inside of a can for you. Psychedelic water. Who needs a Tillinghast resonator when you've got psychedelic water? Are you a curvy girl? Do you know a curvy girl? You love a curvy girl. Check out the show links for curvy girl. Plus size clothing for plus size women. Oh, Larry. Fine, fine student instruments, beginner's instruments. If you want to modify a guitar, check out Glary. If you want to get into guitars, if you love guitars, Things from another world. It's a store that has art. It has toys. It has comics, graphic novels. It is the place if you like that kind of stuff. Dave and I have talked about it in the show before. They were ever a sponsor. Dave likes to check out their stuff. I like to check out their stuff. They're pretty cool. Toys, art, graphic design. Not graphic design, graphic novels for you. Things from another world. Check out the show notes. Uh, check out the links on, on our website, PGPTCM. We've got specific stuff there to let you know what they've got going on for specials. Anyway, thank you again so much. Did you know that there is a THC derivative that's legal called Delta 8? Not to be confused with the Delta variant, but Delta 8. Yeah. Uh, you can get it in chewable form, and it's sold at... Uh, what's what's Golden Goat CBD, one of our sponsors? Yeah, you can get some Delta 8, and you can also pick up some CBD chewables gummies. They've got smokables for the Delta 8, and they've got all kinds of stuff for CBD, and they can help you out. Uh, Check the show notes, Golden Goat. And while you're in the show notes, hey, do you know about Donner? Donner has so many amazing musical instruments from all kinds, mandolins, banjos, they've got drums, they've got amplifiers, they've got guitars, they've got all kinds of stuff, and they ship worldwide. Check out Donner. I think you're going to like it, and I think Donner's going to have a good deal for you. So I, I love their electric guitars. A lot of the music that I perform for the show is either on one brand or it's on a Donner. So check out Donner. 
and check out some savings. All right. Thank you once again for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. You can help show your support by going to the show notes and following any of the links that'll tell you how to support the show and how to support our guests. And thank you to all of our guests who you can find in the show notes. Rate, review, subscribe. And remember, patrons get priority access to asking us questions, suggesting topics, even, I don't know, uh, submitting stuff. Actually, you don't have to be a patron to submit anything. That's how Dave got on the show, and that's how you can get on the show, too. It's the people's guide to the Cthulhu mythos. Rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. Wherever Aoi Beauclair was a door shut from room to room, they went hand in hand, lifting here, opening there, making sure a ghostly couple. Here we left it, she said, and he added, oh, but here too. It's upstairs, she murmured. And in the garden, he whispered, quietly, they said, or we shall wake them. But it wasn't that she woke us, oh no. They are looking for it. They're drawing the curtain, one might say, and so read on a page or two. Now they have found it. One would be certain, stopping the pencil on the margin. And then, tired of reading, one might rise and see for oneself. The house all empty, the door standing open, only the wood pigeons bubbling with content and the hum of the threshing machine sounding from the farm. What did I come in here for? What did I want to find? My hands are, were empty. Perhaps it's upstairs then. The apples were in the loft and so down again, garden still as ever, only the book had slipped into the grass. But they have found it in the drawing room. Not that one could ever see them. The window pane reflected apples, reflected roses. All the leaves were green in the glass. If they moved in the drawing room, the apple only turned its yellow side. Yet the moment after, if the door was open, spread about the floor, hung upon the walls, penned it from the ceiling, what? My hands were empty. The shadow of a thrush crossed the carpet from the deepest wells of silence. The wet pigeon drew its bubble of sound. Safe, safe, safe. The pulse of the house beat softly. The treasure buried the room. The pulse stopped short. Oh, was that the buried treasure? A moment later, the light had faded out in the garden. Then, but the trees spun darkness for a wandering beam of sun, so fine, so rare, coolly spun beneath the surface. The beam I saw always burned behind the glass. Death was the glass. Death was between us, coming to the woman first, hundreds of years ago, leaving the house, sealing all the windows. The rooms were darkened. He left it, left her, went north, went east, saw the stars, 
turned in the southern sky, sought the house, found it dropped beneath the downs. Safe, safe, safe. The pulse of the house beat gladly. The treasure yours. The wind rose up the avenue. Trees stooped and bent this way and that. Moonbeam splashed and spilled widely in the rain. But the beam of the lamp falls straight from the window. The candle burns stiff and still, wandering through the house, opening the windows, whispering not to wake us. The ghostly couple seek their joy. Here we slept, she says, and he adds, kisses without number. Walking in the morning, silver between the trees, upstairs in the garden, when summer came, in winter snow time, the doors go shutting, far in the distance, gently knocking like the pulse of a heart. Nearer they came, sees at the doorway, the wind falls, the rain slides silver down the glass, our eyes darken, we hear no steps beside us, we see no lady spread her ghostly cloak, his hand shield the ladder. Look, he breathes, sound asleep, love upon their lips, stooping, holding their silver lamp above us. Long they look and deeply, long they pause. The wind drives straightly, the flame stoops slightly. Wild beams of moonlight cross both floor and wall and meet in stained with faces bent the faces pondering, the faces that search the sleepers and seek their hidden joy. Safe, safe, safe. The heart of the house beats proud. Long years, he sighs. Again, you found me here, she murmurs, sleeping in the garden, reading, laughing, rolling apples in the loft. Here, we left our treasure, stooping, their light lifts the lids upon my eyes. Safe, safe, safe. The pulse of the house beats wildly. Waking, I cry. Oh, is this your buried treasure? The light in the heart. End of A Haunted House. Recorded by Princess Momo. Show notes, check them out. That's where you're going to find sponsors and guests and T-shirts and stickers and high fives. All right. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you later. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening to the show. Music is by me, D.B. Spitzer, edited and produced by me, D.B. Spitzer. The interview portions are always edited and produced by David Heath. And, hey, you can find us wherever you find podcasts. So check out pgttcm.com. And if you don't want to check out the Patreon, if you don't want to do that and you want to help out the show, just go to sponsors or buy T-shirts or anything like that. Anything helps. Thank you again.